Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 250. 250, love it. My word. My name is Danny Murray. I'm Graham Harrigan. How are you doing Graham? Are you well my friend? Yeah, no, I feel good. 250, that's mad isn't it? I know, yeah. Too, like, and when you factor in that when we used to do the 600 and all that kind of stuff, I'd say we've put out almost 300 at this point episodes. Yeah. Mad enough. And when you factor um, our little breaks and our, and our oh. hiatus, it could be 350. That's it, that's it, yeah. Look, six years we're at this. Unreal. Mad. Roll on the next six years. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, how tricks are you? All good? Yeah, no worries, kind of compliant. I turned 37 at the weekend, rock you and roll. Indeed, yeah, you did indeed. Happy birthday to you. I, I stopped celebrating my birthday after, after I hit 30. Did no you? point. Yeah, no point. Will you will you mark the big like the, the roundy birthdays as uh as they say that the forties and the fifties and the sixties and so forth? Uh, I suppose so. Everyone yeah. does, don't they? That's it. I, I officially beat Jesus at the end of the month. I turned thirty four. Go and on, then, and was, was Jesus not thirty two? He was thirty three. So when are you thirty four? The end of the month. And Friend of the show, Mark Brock's birthday was yesterday. How old is he? 34 yesterday? 30, 34, yeah. Jesus Christ. So that's it, that's it. So Brock has beaten Jesus. I'm on the brink of beating him. And as soon as I do, that, that'll be me. I'll be happy with that. I'll have beaten him. Go around, the, you know? go around the gap from the nip. I mean, I do that most of the time anyway. <laughs> to celebrate. Um, it, man. Jeez, yeah, I can't believe you're 34, Dan. can't believe I'm 37. Yeah, John, John's birthday soon as well. End of November. Yeah, yeah. It's gas because he he's the twenty eighth of the month, on the twenty ninth of the month, and my dad always gets them mixed up. And, Does uh, it? Yeah. Still, but, but what? Uh, yeah, wait, wait till here it is. So one year he got it so fucking wrong. The end of November, like the twenty eighth November, thereabouts, he turns around. He's like, "Happy birthday, son!" I was like, "That was a month ago, dad." And he was like, "I mean, it's the other lad's birthday." <laughs> he said, "Yeah," and he goes. I better go tell him so. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine real, your dad saying that as yeah, well. Just a, re- a real typical Irish dad kind of situation. Yeah. Always makes me laugh. Forgetting the birthdays. Class. That's it, man. That's um, it. All right. Will we go straight into the interview? Straight in, no kissing. That's what I say. Okay. Joining us now is uh, Jack of all trades, but a currently uh, special advisor to the government. The wonderful Anne-Marie McNally. How are you, Ammo? Effectively known as Ammo. Effectually known as Ammo. Some people, like I've always been Ammo, and then some people when they meet me call me Amo because of the spelling. I'm like, oh no, Ammo. Look. <laughs> no, not Amo, don't you like, you know? Yeah, Amo has to have an E in it. That's what I always say, yeah. Yeah. I say jack of all trades there because you've done so much in your life, haven't you, Ammo? Like you did start out, did you start out in physio with Leinster Senior League or St. James Gate or something? I- yeah, well, I'm not sure if starting out is the right way, but um, like I I, st- I studied accountancy, believe it or not, in college. Um, I know, and I bleed and hate it. And let me tell you, I'm shit on maths as well, so it, was just, it wasn't a great fit from the outset. So um, while I was doing that, then I was kind of volunteering at the time with Usher Celtic FC uh, down in Island Bridge, there, based out of Oliver Bond. And an opportunity came up, they'd been given funding, and in fairness, the club secretary was always like super helpful to me. So he asked me, did I? because I was giving them a dig out on a Sunday just kind of doing water person on the pitch and that and you know the magic ice spray so he asked me then did I want to go and do formal training and 
did, went out to UCD, done a year's intro course, um, just in kind of sports med and stuff, and then no went on into the physio from there, yeah. So I stayed with Usher for years, but then um, at the time, it was a little bit, a lot unusual to have a woman uh, doing the role. So it kind of came to the attention of like a lot of the representative teams from the leagues, etc. So I ended up then getting like a fair amount of gigs with like the Lancer squad, the AUL representative panel, etc. So done a fair bit of traveling with decent teams um, and then spent a bit of time over at Tranmere as well as part of me training on the course. No way. So it suited me because love football, love sports. Um, I think I tweeted there recently uh, as a 16-year-old. I was going out with a lad at the time who was playing for James's Gate. Um, That's where I got the James there. Gate from, sorry. Yeah. And I marched up to James's Gate one Friday night and I was like, here, let's write the match reports for your program. They were like, yeah, work. Because they used to do it. It was like, you know, you were up for the program every week. They were like, yeah, work away, stick it in. So uh, from there, then I went into the local newspaper, the local news, um, kind of doing sports report. And then that branched out as it does in local media to just covering everything that was going on in the local community as such. So it was kind of balancing the two at the time. But I always considered the physio and the sports stuff like a hobby because it was just something I loved doing. Um, whereas the newspaper was my full-time job. Um, but because I'd gotten so involved in, in community affairs, I ended up working then um, in Dolphin House. I was living in Dolphin House at the time, the flats complex on the barn there. So I ended up working in there then as a community worker. So is that where the yeah. activism came into it then? Yeah, well, you see, because of the local newspaper and that, and I mean, I, I had a joke about this, but I wrote my first letter to the Herald at the time when I was 10 years of age because um, I was up in arms. Uh, a load of young people were after vandalizing St. Mitchin's Church just there um, across the Deskelly Bridge. And at the time, I remember the Herald had ran a piece and it was all like, young people in the inner city, blah, blah, blah. And I was fuming over it. So I wrote a letter to the Herald going, you know, don't tire everybody with the same brush and maybe if there were services for kids like us, whatever. So I think that was actually my first bit of activism. I remember my dad had a cut out and in a little frame on the windowsill. Like, At 10 years of age, my yeah. God. I always say, I, I, like, I think I had a chip on my shoulder without realising it. Growing up, I grew up in Rialto, and it was like massively, massively disadvantaged at the time. I mean, it was the epicentre of the heroin epidemic. Yeah. Uh, crack, crack Alley, Fatma was known as. Um, I used to have to walk through Crack Alley twice a day to get to and from school. Like, so I, it was always somewhere in the back of my mind going, something about this isn't fair. Like, I, just, I don't think other people are living like this. So that's kind of, it was ingrained in me from there. I mean, we never seen a politician. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody ever knocked around their doors canvassing around. That's how, mad, isn't it? How, how does that translate then into your, your current role and duties? I mean, it's always that kind of underdog mentality and fighting for those. And I always used to say when I was in community work, there's a huge amount of stuff that happens about people. So there's loads of meetings and representative bodies and officials constantly meeting about people there's very i mean it's better now but at the time there's very little including the people so like i'd hear lots of people talking about the heroin epidemic and lots of people talking about the issues in the inner city but uh what i wasn't hearing about was or what i wasn't hearing was voices from people who were living there or you know you weren't seeing yourself or your family or your neighbors or friends reflected in the political system so it, it, it just always felt like people were talking about us and not to us. So when I joined the Community Development Project, at that stage, the residents in Dolphin had been through three failed uh, regeneration attempts. So there'd been three 
PPNs that had failed. So they were completely disillusioned. They were sick to the back teeth of Dublin City Council officials telling them this, that and the other, you know. So from the outset, we made a very strong point of making sure that the residents led um, the project that we were embarking on. And we had them at the table. I mean, it was leading gas at times. Like you just have, you know, really bullshy. And it was mostly women, to be honest. Um, that got involved early on from the flats, sitting at the table with these officials going, here are you, and just, I'm not taking it, like, and the officials just weren't used to it, you know, so it took, uh, it took the goods of a year or two of, of me being there and the new regeneration project to kind of make them go, actually, yeah, we, we kind of have to listen to the residents in this, and, and it was a sea change, really, and it was actually a good, um, kind of good blueprint, because I suppose they were lucky enough in Dolphin and that Fatima had happened. The regeneration of Fatima had happened. And it wasn't a massive success. It was a physical regeneration, but there hadn't been real social regeneration. So we we kind of been able to look across and go, look, it's no point in giving us new gaffes if the shit is still the same, you know? Um, and like I went out, we, we secured funding and we went out to the, the Terry Prone Communications Clinic um, with a couple of the women uh, to do a full day's training course to get them ready for media so that we could put the residents front and foremost when all the RTE cameras etc descended down so it wasn't some talking head in a suit going here's what the people in Dolphin need it was somebody in Dolphin themselves going here's the crap with sewage coming up my bath here's the crap with damp on my walls you know and just kind of have that so that's kind of always been I've always been like let's get our voices out there instead of people talking about us and I try and bring that mm. still into everything I do it's, it's gas because when you said there about it was it was mostly women that were involved in it I kind of I think to where me and Merrow are from Ballybrack Lachlanstown and I can remember for, for years when we were growing up that kind of community activism that kind of stuff that happens at a grassroots level it often is women that lead that and then there's a couple yeah. of blokes who tag on at the end and get into the photos and whatever when they come around but like more often than not it's driven by women in the area who are seeing it every day yeah and i mean i i actually That's why the counselors I, listen to you as well <laughs> well do you know like i don't you might have seen them or i don't um what you call that international women's day post on insta last year because that tends to piss me off every year because it's all these like little clicks of you know women that go for lunch and celebrate international women's day but like i grew up around some of the strongest women who were out there i just say like every day fighting and didn't realize they were fighting but for for basic rights for basic services um for their kids for themselves for their community but if you turned around and said to any of them here do you know what you'd make a great politician they always the reaction is like not a bleed not me no i wouldn't be able they just it's very hard to get people to, to say, this is activism. This is what it is. This is what we need. Um, and it's just that bit of extra confidence that people need. And I always say, I know myself when I was growing up, certainly my mom and the women I grew up around, they're never going to take themselves off into Dublin Castle for a fancy lunch for women for election. Or they're, they're just not prepared to do that. It's completely out of their comfort zone. So it's waste on time for they probably think it's waste on time to do Yeah, and it's like that that's for that's for others like in different circles. You need to bring this stuff to where the women are at and say, do you know what? You're bleeding great. Get out there. What you're doing here in the flats is equally important and drimming and crumbling in your local area all around. Get out and have your voice heard. You think there's enough of that? Do you think there's enough people out there who are who are willing to meet people where they are as opposed to expecting them to come to I think, I mean, it's better now, obviously, than it was. And to be fair, I've been out of the frontline community sector for a while. So 
I'm not 100% certain what it's like on the ground, but I, I still think if it comes down to it, no, I don't think enough is being done to mobilize people locally. Um, and, you know, like uh, non-partisan completely, but where it does happen, it does tend to be political parties specifically recruiting. And that's grand, like great, get people involved. In, but there should be a space where people can become politically active and not feel tied to a particular party. You know, they're not just, joining for party because a party has approached them yeah that people should feel confident saying well actually i'm an activist and i've had a read your manifesto whatever it is and yeah i'm standing for you because a or but not just because you've been asked do you think and, and i'm going a kind of different direction here to merrow sorry if i'm hogging this now but just the, the <laughs> questions are and i'm a walker so you're gonna have to cut me off so uh but you Waffle mentioned school. there about how it can be it can be difficult to get women in into politics. Um, they're great at getting into the kind of the community activism and whatever, but then when it comes to stepping up beyond that, you're quite active on social media. But obviously, there's a bad side to that as well. Do, do you think that bad side of social media is also like there's there's women who are kind of you know even even though they're not heavily involved, they probably still have a negative experience with lads sliding into their DMs and all sorts or the abuse that they get. How big a role does that play, do you reckon, in putting people off? Yeah, look, it can absolutely put you off. And, like, I've I've talked about this in interviews before. I'm somebody who's fairly immune to that kind of stuff to a certain extent. And I recognise that that's me, and I hate using the word privilege, you know, but because I can do that. But if I was somebody who could do that, would it bother me? Yeah, absolutely it would. And, like, particularly when I was running for election... I've had some horrendous stuff said to me, everything from rape threats to like, and at the time in 2016, when I ran first, I was like heavily overweight. Some of the stuff that was directed at me was horrendous. If you were in any way soft, and I, and I am a little bit, to be honest, right, when it comes down to stuff, but like my campaign manager afterwards told me some of the stuff that, you know, they kept off my radar as well. But, I mean, some of that really personal, vindictive stuff, there's no doubt about it, does get to you. And if you're somebody who's going into it afraid of that kind of stuff or, you know, sensitive to it, yeah, I can see how you'd absolutely say, no, nah, I'm not opening myself up to that at all. And, I mean, even I've gotten a little bit more, Boz, you've probably seen on, on my Insta stories, about calling that shit out. Like, because, like, for years I was getting that kind of stuff and blocking out the names and all then you're going why am I doing this like I don't know this fella and the bleeding the neck of them like it's yeah. different if somebody's you know chancing their arm or may, you know maybe wanting to have a chat or whatever but like some of the dopes are just like straight up in your face you're like, what are you thinking and do you know what's mad and I've t- chatted about this because sometimes when I post that like some of my lad friends will get in touch and be like here I've had a look at his profile they're nearly always like blokes with their kids or whatever it is on on their profile you know and you're like you're doing this publicly essentially publicly like do you do you think or you're so safe in the knowledge that i'm not going to call it out that you're comfortable to do it how many other women have you done it to you know yeah there's a weird arrogance in 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 some blokes that that i think uh they they think they're not going to get called out as well but then just in general i'm conscious here it's a terrible pun but like the balls to send a dick pic unsolicited to, to somebody and expect to get a favourable response. I'm not sure. I don't know why I'm saying it. It's, uh, it's a I wonder w- has anybody in the history of the universe ever wrote back and went, oh yeah, let's chat. <laughs> You've okay. convinced me. You've convinced yeah. me. Yeah. Kids busy, yeah. Are you up? Come on, I stall it around. Like. It's just beggar's belief. Um, 
you know you were saying there Amo, um about the activists that you were around during that time and you know uh trying to get them to the next level say oh you'd make a good politician or you'd make a good counselor or whatever did, hmm. did is is that how you got involved in in because you ran as a candidate for the social democrats is that how you got involved in that in a conversation no. Like that, and, or? and again, it's the whole jack of all trades thing. So it kind of was like a convergence of everything that I was doing. So the sports stuff, in and of itself, kind of inadvertently, and particularly when you're with a, a club like um, you know Usher or any club, you're constantly advocating. And then I was elected chairperson of the club. So for two years, I was chairperson of Usher Celtic, and that meant like being out at the AUL, uh, representing the club, constantly fighting for funding, constantly on to the local politicians, looking for, you know, facilities, whatever it was. So you're kind of on that side, there's an element of activism being involved in the admin of a, of a sports club. Um, and then in my day job at the time, then I was working in either the local newspaper or the community project. So that was all happening for me. But then 2008 hit and obviously the arse started to fall out of the community sector sniff new I could see the writing on the wall and I was thinking to myself how am I going to be able to be active try and implement some of the change that I want to see in society um so literally it was just a spur of the moment decision one day in the office in Dolphin I was googling around and uh the DCU master's course in political comms so uh I applied I was very lucky it was the last year that the grant was available for postgrad um otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford to do it so I got, got the grant, got the place, and I'd initially applied to do it uh, part-time because I was working at the time. And then when the timetable came out, I was looking at it going, full-time time, full time, timetable looks the exact same, more or less, as the part-time. I could get this done over the course of a year if I really put me back into it. So I did. I applied to change to the full-time. Um, so I used to finish in Dolphin at about four, go straight up to DCU, do my classes. And I just loved it so much that... I just threw myself into a full-on, like, um, really, really loved it. And I got a first out of it, and I, I'm still super proud of that because I was juggling so many balls at the time, like, um, but it was just purely because I was like, this stuff, <laughs> this stuff is going to help me be the change that I'm looking for. Like, and again, just the stars kind of aligned for me. Just as I was graduating on ActiveLink, there was um, a job ad. It just said independent left-leaning TD. Didn't name the TD. I applied. And uh, went in, it was Catra Murphy, as it happens, <laughs> done the interview, got it. Um, now, I started off on two days a week, and I'd taken my um, redundancy out of Dolphin because like, there was six months left before none of us had jobs, so I took the redundancy while I was there. So that allowed me to cover it for the first two or three months, but Jesus, it was a struggle like going from full-time gig to two days. But I knew I was in, and I was getting my foot where I needed to be kind of thing so I persevered and struggled um like look it was a struggle I remember being out and doing drum one night with my mom and uh we were getting you know food in the food court and I was like Jesus I forgot it was such a luxury to, to actually get food out and sit and eat like because I was so broke at the time I literally hadn't had a takeaway for months so but I just I was like this is where I need to be and if I just persevere at work and in fairness I threw myself into a big time. So by the stage of my six-month probation, myself and Catherine had formed such a good work and bond. She didn't want to be without me. I was where I wanted to be. And it just kind of took off from there, really, for me. And at that stage, was the Social Democrats formed at that stage? No, Catherine was an independent TD. And uh, 
so like our big piece of work that we started working on straight away was the whole site surf st stuff um i think so that that really kind of took over fairly early on when i was working with catherine um so in the 24 i started working with catherine in 20 april 2012 and then when the um 2014 local elections were rolling around we were kind of looking around saying like, how can we help more people like us come into the system so we set up a thing at the time called the independence alliance um and it was basically just to try and give support to a couple of like solid independents that were standing around the country um and i mean we, gary gannon was a member at the time well not a member because it wasn't a membership thing but at the time a few decent people like that and it was really just to kind of say look you know if you're stuck for any advice on how certain things work if you need any help with assembling your piece for the election officers etc just that kind of admin stuff just to make the process easier to try and convince somebody who might have been on the fence going on oh, i don't even know where to start say well look we can start it for you it was like it was relatively successful and we met some really good people through it who are still involved in politics thankfully um but after the 2014 locals to be honest the way the political system is set up in ireland the funding system is a disaster zone right and unless you're a party you're at such a disadvantage you really are because the entire political funding structure is weighted towards parties. So as much as we kind of wanted initially to keep it as a kind of movement type thing, and at the time we were looking at things like Podemus um, and how they had done it, but the funding structure here just would have put us on the back foot from the outset. So in the course of, over the, the course of 2015, meetings were happening between Catherine Roisin and Steve, and then each of them brought their person into the room. I was Catherine's person. And over the course of a year, we just trashed out what, what what kind of we believed in, what we shared, what could work. And 2016, the Social Democrats were launched. And there they so, are. So you're a founding member of the Social Democrats? I am indeed, yeah. Six, six of you, is it? So it was Catherine Roisin and, and Stephen as the elected representatives. And then each, each of the TDs brought their person That's into nice. the room then. Yeah. So it was kind of a... Again, I mean, I'd like... We've talked about it a fair amount in the media. It was around Roisin's kitchen table primarily for a year, just trashing out policy ideas, structural ideas around the whole formation of the party, etc. Um, and just going with it, yeah. And just to be clear to listeners, Stephen is current Minister for Health and Fianna Fáil members, Donnelly. Stephen Donnelly. He is indeed, Stephen Donnelly, just, yeah. Just I'm sorry, it was actually 2015, because um, the election was 2016. So it was July 2015 that the party launched, and we contested the election in February 2016. And I stood as a candidate, primarily because it was such a new party, really didn't have candidates. Um, and look, I'd always had, if not electoral ambitions, political ambitions. Um, so it just seemed like a kind of natural thing to do wasn't fully prepared for it um particularly that as you spoke about earlier that public face and peace etc and nothing can prepare you and i say this all the time nothing can prepare you for your face hanging over lamppost when you drive out of your estate in the morning and what that about shit's scary uh, what about vincent brown can that prepare you for vincent brown <laughs> well you know I, i've been doing vincent brown for a couple of years before um standing because so he used to have this thing where he'd Pick, pick somebody who was left-leaning and who didn't necessarily have a voice in the community. I'd met him through a couple of things with Catherine or whatever, and he liked me. Um, we kind of hit it off. So he invited me onto the show one night as like a left voice. 
And I went on, not knowing anything about the setup, and I was put in the seat right beside him, right? Grand <laughs> now whether I sat down. Somebody else on the panel goes to me, Oh my god, you're in the hot seat. It's like what? It's like, yeah, no, that's where he puts people he's gonna go after. I was like, <gasps> I was shitting it from the outset. And go after me, he did, right? And it was something he was taking a mad right wing position with me. Um, it was about youth unemployment and mental health stuff, right? And he was basically going like, but aren't they all lazy bastards that won't work or whatever? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I ended up having a real Barney with him. And when we went to the break, he goes to me, fair play, you held your own, you're off the hook. He was, it was literally a challenge. like. <laughs> no way. Yeah. He actually said that on the break, did he? Yeah. So after that, then we got on great. And I was on, in fairness, I was on nearly once a month. And like I always say, the loss of Vincent Brown was a big loss for people like me and voices like me who wouldn't have got the opportunity otherwise, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're still feeling this loss. But I think at the moment, uh, I think Claire Brock's doing a good job in the last uh, couple of months. She uh, is, absolutely, yeah. But I don't think... Is there anyone like Vincent? And will there be anyone like Vincent? I think maybe Sarah McInerney is close. Yeah, no, and in terms of interviews, she's great. But the one thing about Vincent was he took a very, in that case, personal interest um, in in his panel and who he was having on. It wasn't just left to the producers. Um, he wanted who he wanted on. Um, and like I say, that bit about having like the kind of unknown lefty voice was something that gave me an opportunity. And from like once, once you do a bit of media and you know, you don't make a tit yourself, you tend to get other requests then for stuff. So a lot flowed from, from Vince giving me that start, you know, um, now back in the day when I worked in the community, I used to have a, a half hour program every Friday on news talk, just community matters kind of stuff. So I was, as you can tell, fairly confident in front of a mic and hard to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no no um, harm in that, no harm in that. Absolutely, that's what you need, isn't it? Um, so with, with the, um, when you ran for Social Democrats, was that a good or bad experience? Now, obviously, you weren't elected, but like, you did then. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but you you became the comms director for Social Democrats. Yeah, so uh, when I was running, I w- I was the comms director for the Social Democrats because again, just they we were like, Jesus. yeah, so we were like six seven months um, in existence. We you know we didn't have funding at that stage because we hadn't contested an election, so we didn't have funding for staff. So I was working full time for Catherine legally. The Sock Dems didn't exist until they contested an election. You're not not entitled to political funding. Um, so I was still being paid as per my role with Catherine. I was doing Catherine's job, doing the Suck Dems job and running for election. It wasn't ideal, obviously, and I'd be working. And I mean, there's no such thing as a nine to five in the dolls. So you'd be working all day till God knows whatever. And oftentimes the team would be out without me because that was just the reality of it. I always felt really shit about lads coming in and work on a, and I mean, that was February election, if you remember. It was freezing. Got One of my lads actually got stuck to a pole hanging posters. It was so cold. Um, and I'd always have this awful guilt, like, oh, my God, they're out there and I'm in work. But I ended up doing, like, so much better than any of us anticipated. I only missed out on the seat by 500 votes in the end, um, which was a massive surprise to me. And had that not been the case, I probably wouldn't have contested another election again. But then it was that thing of going, well, you were so close. You know, you kind of have to contest the next one. But, I mean, to be honest, my heart wasn't really in it, if I'm 100% honest. And I've thought about this a lot, obviously, because when you, when you run for election and you're kind of 
you know, dissecting it all afterwards, what went wrong as such, because the next result was far off what the initial result was. Um, I, I just, I have much more of an affinity with the inner city and where I'm from, where Alto, etc. Um, I live in Luke and I ran in Dublin Midwest, but it's not my natural home turf. There's a huge amount of it that I didn't necessarily identify with. Um, and I think I, I think in fairness to the electorate, they, they probably picked up on that a little bit, you know. Um, in hindsight, if I was doing things over, I'd probably have sought to contest Dublin South Central. Well, that's mad because um, Owen O'Brien Owen O'Brien ran yeah. in Ballybrack uh, a couple of years ago, but he wasn't from Ballybrack. And I did often think... Now, it's very hard for a Sinn Féin candidate to get anywhere in Dunleary yeah. Redown because of the affluent area and whatever. But um, I did often think, you know, did he not do as well as possibly he should have because he wasn't from the area? Did the electorate want somebody from that area? Do you know that way? So um, it was, and to only not get in by 500 votes is pretty impressive though. Oh, yeah, no, it was an amazing run the first time. It really was. Um, and, I mean, for a while during County, it looked like I was going to get it. Um, and, like, nobody was more shocked than me and my team, you know. Um, so it kind of it led on to you have to contest. Um, and in the meantime, we were still trying to build a party. And somebody at the time described it, and it was the most accurate thing ever. It was like you were trying to build the aircraft while you were in flight. That's the only way you can you can describe it because you're literally trying to build a party from the ground up in full membership organ. me pen. <laughs> <laughs> a full membership organization like nationally, creating branches in as many constituencies as you can, etc. While still working the full time day job in the doll that doesn't stop, and still trying to prepare for electoral contests, etc. I mean, it was absolutely full on. Is, I reckon that's why people don't get into politics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a huge element of that there's no doubt about it a huge element of that and I mean even there I walked out with a, a senior female deputy um, just before coming on here I ran over to get a bit of salad which I haven't gotten to eat by the way and uh, mm. she says to me um, I'm going home to see my kids I haven't seen them since Sunday like that's that's the reality of this a lot of the time Jesus it's mad uh, isn't it it's probably it's probably worse on weeks like this with the, the budget and everything else but it's it's certainly well, it's more than just a full-time gig, isn't it? Like, it's, it's an always-on kind of gig. It is, absolutely. It's, and it, it, look, it's vocational because... So, last year, I left politics. Um, I'd been headhunted for a job. It turned me head. <laughs> it did. And at that stage, I'd served eight years in frontline politics. I was absolutely exhausted. And I hadn't contested a 2020 election. I'd... Um, worked in HQ for the Suck Dems as communications director for the campaign and had absolutely loved it and had a very successful campaign, six TDs elected. But when it was done, there was like this massive kind of, I'm kind of done at the moment, really felt wiped out. So it was just the time and when the, when the job offer came in, I was like, hmm, actually, nine to five. It just seemed like everything I was looking for. So I took it, and first month, it was like such a novelty. Oh, my God, look at me going for a walk in the evening. Whoa, this is great. After a month, I had such bad FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> really? Everything is, everything is happening over there. I'm not in the thick of it. Like, I'd be glued to all the current affairs programs and, like, texting Catherine about things and stuff. So 
I was like, oh, I had to admit, and plus as well, I, I wasn't happy in the job for other reasons, but I met a mate of mine who had also left politics. I used to work with him and uh, he had had the exact same thing and he'd gone back into politics and I just happened to say to him, look, do you know what, I'm feeling it. And he says to me, well, as it happens, Joe O'Brien is, is looking for an advisor. Um, and immediately once I heard it, I was like, oh, so I kind of started doing a bit of research into Joe and look, it just, it was a fit, his politics fit. Um, so I was like, right, this is my opportunity. And, uh, and my dad, who was who sick now, but at the time was like, why wouldn't you want to be in the heart of politics? Get back, get back. So he was in my ear as well. <laughs> when you left? He was in your ear. Yeah, when you absolutely. Left, yeah. Yeah, to get, yeah, to get back. He was, all, he was always super, I mean, like, growing up, you know, I was kind of, my dad wasn't around a lot growing up because the 80s, he was working in England for economic reasons. Um, but my dad was like he'd been lucky enough to have at the time what would have been considered a fairly comfortable family he was from Portobello so he'd had um, a decent secondary school education so he always kind of felt that you know education was hugely important and stuff whereas like my mom didn't have any formal education or anything so it was always kind of like oh just you know once you're happy chicken kind of thing but my dad would always been like get the bleeding education into you so I'd always kind of had that growing up. My dad would have always had the Irish Times knocking around um, the house and that morning Ireland on the radio. So I always kind of had those little influences going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, Amo, like, you are a founding member of the Social Democrats. You ran for Social Democrats. Uh, you're catching uh, Murphy's uh, advisor in the Social Democrats and you left for a year or so. And now you're a Green Party, Joe O'Brien's uh special advisor so is is there a conflict of interest there or are you like are you still a member of the social democrats or how, how does it work like that no so i had to resign membership of the party when i left to take the job in the ngo sector and um, so i wasn't a member anyways um and i'm not a member of the greens i made it very clear to joe and i'm showing that i wouldn't be a member of the greens he was 100 percent comfortable with that because my job doesn't involve anything party political at all I'm an advisor to him in his ministerial capacity. So it's it's non-party political. I'm not involved in any of the Green Party politics um, at all. It's purely departmental stuff. So um, it, it works out great from that regard. It, it suits Joe. It suits myself. It suits the party. Are you still inclined to, to text Catherine and say, what are you doing? Uh, well, I don't about political issues, but I'm still like I will always I will always be like best friends with Catherine. In fairness, um, had a cup of coffee with her there recently. Uh, I mean, Catherine gave me my start in politics. Was an unbelievable mentor. Is like somebody who is the epitome of a woman in politics who has like grafted all the way through. I mean, we're talking about that social media stuff and the crap you have to put up with, but. Like before there was social media, there was conservative Ireland who didn't think that women should be out without their husbands. Like she's hilarious when she tells a story about being in the Salmon Lee pub one night, having a meeting about some local development that was happening. She was uh, on the town council at the time and it was four and five men. And somebody rang her husband at home and was like, do you know your wife's in the pub with five men? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of shit, to, to be able to come up through that. And Roisin Short, I'll always say to me as well, that she learned early on to sharpen her elbows to make sure she could get into the pictures and stuff because <laughs> it wasn't social media, but it was a different form of, of abuse and probably tougher to, to actually break through and deal with, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. It, that's it. That, that's um, mad, isn't it? What, what is the life of 
an advisor to a government minister like besides always being on and you know not getting to eat your salad now for the last hour or whatever. <laughs> well, that's not Joe's fault. That's your fault. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I like I'm relatively new to it. I only started in February, um, and I'm I think exceptionally lucky in that Joe, my minister, is super to work for. Um, he he makes a priority as well for himself to have a bit of work life balance. Um, he, he, I think that does make a difference. I mean, I can't speak for others, but it depends who your minister is, I guess. But I, I'm I'm really lucky with Joe, and I because it's such a passion for me and a vocation. You wouldn't do this if you were only doing it to get paid. Put it that way. There's much easier ways to make a living, um, particularly like my expertise, expertise in inverted commas is comms you know so i could be i could be in an agency earning what i'm earning if not more and clocking off at five but it just it just wouldn't do for me you get formal yeah and there's that little bit as well about feeling that you're helping make a bit of a difference right you know not every day is a good day and there's some times that you have to suck shit you know but at the end of the day if you can tell yourself that a bit of what you're doing is making a difference for good in people's lives. Like, and like, that sounds a bit bleak and corny, but actually it, like, it is true. Uh, getting out of bed to do something that matters is important to me, not just clocking in and, and taking a few bob. Yeah. 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 That's mad yeah. because, because you would talk to people um, on the, on the lead up to a general election and you know, you, whether it be in the pub or a social gathering or whatever, and you'd be trying to gauge, you know, who they're voting for or whatever. And a lot of the time, in our area, you might get a conversation where the person's like, oh, I'm not voting for them. Sure, what do they do? They never do anything. But you and your role, you do um, try and influence change and you can see the change. Would you be like, when you came up from uh, the um, Dolphins Barn and, and, and th- those kind of neglected areas, are you happy with the change that you see now in, in your role? I mean, do I think a lot more could be done? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. But at the same time, if you're not incrementally chipping away at trying to improve things, then what are you doing? So some of it might be small, some of it might seem fairly minor or inconsequential at the time. But once it's part of progress towards something bigger, I can deal with that. Like I'm, I'm not expecting the world to change overnight. Um, but I like it absolutely. And is there always that part of me that's a revolutionary and wants to like kick the shit out of the establishment as such? Yeah, and that will always be there. But at the same time, I have gotten to the point in life <laughs> where I can marry that with a bit of pragmatism and go, all right, well, if incremental change is the only change I can make, it's better than no change at all. Yeah, and is there a difference between um, being an advisor to a member of the opposition to now being an advisor of somebody who's actually in government yeah i mean yeah there is a little bit in that you know you have to make sure that what particularly in a coalition government so it's not just a case of i mean when i was with catherine you just write a speech and go with it but you need to make sure now on this side that kind of everything marries up that you're not overstepping on somebody else that you know there's balances to be had all around but by and large the the crux of the role is the same like for me I always say that's my person I'm there for them now so you do everything in your power to make sure that they're as well equipped well prepared and 
protected as possible, basically. Um, and I think if you haven't got that sense of loyalty to the person you're with, you're probably in the wrong job, to be honest. Like, you, you have to be all in for that person. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I'm unconscious that you have a salad to eat and training to get to. Uh, <laughs> I'm all right, like quarterfaz. I'm getting picked up at a quarterfaz. <laughs> a quarterfaz is all right, Grand Merrill was rushing me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I was going to say, how, how are you finding Because you've only recently started getting back into sport in terms of playing it. How, how have you been finding it? Uh, your, your social media is great crack in terms of getting updates from it and seeing what you're up to. I, I absolutely love it. I mean, obviously, as I said, I've always been around in sport all my life. Um, and, you know, it's mad because like, I'm, I'm the youngest by 13 years. Um, but neither of my brothers are interested in sport. So I, di- I didn't grow up with, like, sports mad brothers or whatever. It was always just me. Um, but I never, ever played sport. A, I was, I was hugely overweight. Um, it just never, it was just never an option, you know? So... I was sitting here in this office one day, I was flicking through Insta, and one of the girls that um, I know, ironically, through politics, had an Insta story up about this club. I'd never even heard of it. Um, Ger's uh, out beside you, well, near enough to you guys, uh, Geraldine P. Moran's out in Cabin Tealy there, Cornell's Court. Um, and she was like, everybody welcome, come along. And at the time, it was, you know, um, it was kind of billed as a fitness thing as opposed to a team thing. And I just messaged her going, Jesus, I'd always love to get involved. And she's like, come along. And it was like the politics thing. I was like, me? No, surely not. Like, she's like, why not? Actually, why not? Like, the feck I'll go. So I went out that night, absolutely shitting it. Knew nobody except for Trina, who I only really barely knew, mostly knew online. And uh, not a clue. I've never been around God. It was always football for me, like like soccer <laughs> Um, and I went football, out and football on this just, podcast as well. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, just, just really enjoyed it. And the manager came over to me at the end of the first session, and he was like, "You've done this before." I was like, "I haven't. No, jeez, like I hadn't a bleak clue, you know." And uh, he was like, "Oh, you're very comfortable with the ball." So I was like, oh, "I'm just a kind of, you know, you're standing on the sideline, so like volleying or whatever, you know, or keepy uppies." I was like, oh, "I've kind of always just been around the ball. It's not that I know what I'm doing or whatever." So. That kind of gave me a little bit of confidence then that I wasn't a complete, what do I do with this? Yeah. Um, so I went back the second week and I just took off from there. So at the end of the third week, then he says to me, look, we're putting a senior team forward. Are you, are you up for it? And I was like, you don't want me, sure I'm shit. And he's like, no, no, I do. He's like, look, I'll give it a go if you're willing to give it a go. That was pretty much it. Like, And now I just, like, it's the highlight of my week. Like, it would have been easy for me to, to say I can't make training tonight. Um, but I re- really want to go. And in fairness, the club, I can't recommend it enough for anybody out there thinking about it. They have a dads and lads thing on a Friday night as well. And it's the same thing for people who haven't been in sport or have fallen out of it or for whatever reason, you know. And it's just that kind of ease back into it and, and give it a go. They're hugely welcoming and supportive. Like That's yeah. mad, Amo, because as well, like, it's, it's, it's not like... I've been following you for years on social media, um, but now talking to you, it, you know, you put your mind to something, you kind of do it. And as well as that, you know, uh, you did lose a really substantial uh, amount of weight in such a short space of time. Was it Was it 10 stone you lost? I lost 10 stone, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. I put a bit of stone back on over lockdown, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> but was that a case of kind of just... Like like your career changes, you know, like your jack of all trades stuff. Was that just a case of 
waking up one morning and saying, right, I need to get to, to get rid of this weight or? Yeah, I'd gotten sick. I um, I, I was I was fairly sick for a while and a big, a big part of how I was treated uh, medically came down to me weight as well. You know, um, there was a lot of conversations among medics going, well, you know, if you were a bit lighter, this things would be easier, etc. Um, rightly or wrongly, wrongly, I would suggest like, but anyways, it, it did play on my mind. And then when I came through the, the illness, I just felt so lucky that I'd gotten a second chance. I really did. And I was like, right, I have to get my shit together here. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was sick in, in kind of April of that year and, uh, started really making an effort. Now I'd had a bit of a head start when I was sick. I'd lost the amount of weight, like a couple of stone, about two and a half stone. So I, I was like well into it. I was like, right, I'm just going to keep this going, you know? So I, I did really put the effort in and to be fair, I've said this before, it was, it was a mindset shift because I'd spent my entire life on diets. Um, always some bleeding fat or another you know but this time around it was like i'm doing this because i want to be well as opposed to i want to wear x or i want to be able to go into such and such a shop and buy something which you can't like i was 20 stone you can't just randomly walk into a shop like um but that was always the reason behind it whereas this time it was like i'm lucky to be alive here i actually need to look after myself so uh, that kind of spurred me on. And then as it happens, that December, I ended up collapsing and, <laughs> collapsing and work. It was a funny story around that, but I, I didn't know I was pregnant and I had an ectopic pregnancy that had ruptured. Um, so I was rushed into hospital and I mean, it, it was really touch and go at that stage. Um, that, that was a very scary experience, I have to say. And I was rushed into emergency surgery and the following morning the consultant came in to sit on the bed with me and she talked like I'd lost fallopian tube ovary everything and uh, she said to me uh, so she she was kind of breaking that news to me and I she thought it was going to be traumatic that I couldn't have any more children and I was like my grand like it's <laughs> so she, she was relieved about that but she did say to me I'd always been sick after anesthetic um, anytime I'd ever had anesthetic in my life, I'd been very sick. And I wasn't this time. And I said that to her and she said to me, well, with all due respect, um, you're significantly lighter and the amount of anesthetic we had to give you any other time you were being treated would have been so much that the body does react to it. But because you're lighter now, you get a lesser dose. And that actually really stuck in my head. And I was like, God, it actually did affect the medical treatment that I was given reacted to it um, she she used an analogy it wasn't the best analogy I suppose from a politically correct point of view but it did stick with me she was the equivalent of knock out an elephant or knock out a cat you're obviously using a lot less um, and, and that resonated with me and any time which you know I do have me little bits where I'm like I'm eating everything <laughs> when I need to pull myself back that that does stick in my head Fucking and then I do Oh, sure. It's been it's been a roller coaster, all right. But I mean, you'll know, Meryl. I do kind of regularly enough um, outfit posts on Insta, um, mm-hmm. and and to me, well, during lockdown, they became important to me because I struggled at the start of lockdown. I'm a, I'm a social animal. I like to be out and about and yapping, and uh, so I, I was really struggling with it. And having been sick and that feeling of God, I'm lucky to be alive, kind of thing. When you start to see. Everybody was saying, oh, I can't wait for the days to pass by. I was like, no, I don't want the days to be passing by. I want to be living the days. Like, so I, I was panicking. About that. So I had to pull myself out of a bit of a funk at the start of it. And getting up and getting dressed and making an effort was important to me. Um, 
to feel like each day had a purpose kind of stuff so when there was nowhere to go in the outfits and the hair and the makeup it became right I'll pop a thing up on insta that would be me reason to get dressed and whatever so that became important to me and I've just kind of continued it on and I do this this is a bit mad as well but I do kind of feel that um sometimes being a woman in politics you are expected to somehow like dampen down your femininity or you know you're not supposed to be allowed to try and be sexy or any of that stuff and I'm like ah not having it like you know I am who I am and I should be able to within reason to a certain extent I mean I'm not going to rock up in a bleeding leather bra and hot pants you know what I mean but yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't push it, Meryl, because I might give it a go. <laughs> but within reason, like, there's no, I don't have to be a Stepford wife to be able to walk around Lancer House. I think that's important for for other people and the people that we spoke about earlier on to look and go, yeah, I, I, I can wear my Air Max <laughs> to Lancer House, you know, or I can stick my leather kex on if I want. Um, that That's important to me as well. Deadly. Come here, um, before we let you go, um, October 22nd, uh, the rest of restrictions are supposed to be lifted. Um, can you give us any exclusive? I can't. Um, honestly, that's not the kind of shit we get, to be honest. Um, I, I, I've just been reading the news coverage this evening. Uh, like, It looks like we're still on track for October 22nd. Um, I think it would take an awful lot for it not to happen, to be honest. I really do. Um, and not only numbers, all, I think people's mindset are in, we're out of this on the 22nd. Yeah. Out, out of this in so much as is possible. I mean, we're still obviously going to have to be cautious and safe. And uh, like I, I was reading some bullet points tonight in relation to the, the percentage of people in ICU that are not vaccinated. And I mean, it is quite worrying because certainly for me and my circle and anybody I know, at the time, I was like, stick it into my eyeballs. I don't care what it is. I'll risk any experimental therapy if it means I can get Absolutely. back out and be normal. We so it's saying, mad for yeah. me to think there's people not vaccinated. Like, yeah. like that's we, we were saying at the time, like, if, if the only way of getting the vaccine was getting the injection in me whole on the late night show... <laughs> I'd have done it, like, do you know what I mean? Just, anyway. Oh, absolutely. I was the same. Just, and, like, I don't care if it hasn't been properly tested or whatever. I'll risk it because it can't be as bad as this shit. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, a, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. But there was, a, there was a stat there the other day. Um, I was listen, listening to, I don't know if she was a member of Neffet, but there was someone on the Clareborn show yesterday morning, and she was saying that 67% of hospitalizations, sorry, 67% of cases uh, are unvaccinated and 55% yeah. of hospitalizations are unvaccinated and it seems to be the demographics seems to be the majority in their 40s so she was saying if you're in your 40s and you're listening and you still haven't been vaccinated please consider being vaccinated so like it's you all said bleeding Facebook types isn't it like did, did you yeah. get off Facebook and get onto instant and like have a look at my outfits they'd be grand <laughs> yeah. <worrying> about vaccines. <laughs> like. that's it listen I'm that's a great note to end it on, yeah. Um, it's been deadly. It's been quick, but it's been class. And uh, I'll see you at the Longford Rovers match on Monday week. Oh, actually, I don't think you will. Oh, no. Because <laughs> he, he can't play because he's on loan from, from oh. Rovers. So he can't play against them, yeah. <laughs> You'll still have to go down and watch. Or I might come down it's and watch. It's a bank yeah. Monday. It is, and I'm away to Sligo the following morning on ministerial duties. <laughs> Oh, well, then you probably won't you go. Oh, yeah, no. Early night is needed then. Uh, <laughs> about, th thanks so much uh, and en enjoyed a bit of training this evening. 
We have to get a screenshot, lads. Let's stuck lipstick on for this. Yeah, don't worry. We'll just. <laughs> no, we just, he has it. Yeah, we just yeah. grab it. Don't worry. Don't worry. We, we grab, grab it anytime. Yeah. And we, we're, we're saying, like, we'll make sure your eyes are closed. You are looking wonky. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> don't worry. We'll all that. We'll add so a normal one, like a normal one. <laughs> <laughs> Photoshop. <laughs> lads, thanks, Bill. That was great, Craig. Thanks so well, much. Thanks so much, Jamal. Really appreciate your time. Deadly. Catch you later. Deadly. Thanks, yeah, Bill. Enjoy. Yeah. Bye bye. A wonderful guest was Anne Renee McNally. Uh, very easy Absolutely. to chat to. Very easy to chat to, Zamo. Very easy. And uh, we always say that um, that our podcast is like going out for a few points. I'd say she'd be great cracker out for a few points. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say she she's well able to spin a yarn and tell a story and that kind of thing. I'd say she'd be she'd be great crack, all right. Absolutely, and it's mad that. Um, being a physio for a football team as well, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, she's like it's it's one that has you said a jack of all trades. Like she's she's got many strings to her bow, uh, but more power to her. Very very impressive person, and uh, I think I think you actually said it when we were talking to her as well. It seems as though whatever she puts her mind to, she she gets out and gets it done. Like which is absolutely admir- admirable in anybody. Uh, and that and, and that attitude led to her uh, losing ten stone for fuck's sake. Yeah, that's no yeah. that's no easy feat. This is it. This is it. But uh, yeah, really enjoy chatting to Amo and uh, may talk to her again one day. Uh, Absolutely, you'll, you'll be shouting at her across some football stand or something like that. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, Amo's Amo's uh, stepson is Dean Williams, Shamrock Rovers player who's currently on loan at Longford Town. So that was the reference there. I'll see you at Longford next week. <laughs> But uh, he's not allowed to play against Shamrock Rovers as per his loan agreement. Very good, very good. Uh, I've enjoyed that, Graham. But alas, uh, that is it for this week. If people Lovely. want to listen to the almost 300 episodes and the thousands of hours of free content we've provided over the last few years, where can they do so, my friend? They can go to WTSpod.com or they can search WTSpod on any, on any and everywhere you can get a podcast. Uh places such as Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcast, anywhere, everywhere you can get a podcast. Um, also, Danny is on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Joe Murray and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Merrigan Mania. Until next time. Here I Full hearts. Can't lose. Too sweet. Too sweet.